Good afternoon, church. Amen. Good afternoon, church. <laughs> um, you know what I'm going to have you do. Could you please join me, if you can, and able. Stand as we continue in worship. This part deserves a standing, right? Amen. Amen. And if you would navigate with me, we're going to Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. Amen. Amen. For our visitors, I think we have a few. If you want to join with us, we're on page 29 in the Pew Bible. If you want to pick one of those up, and we welcome you into this part of our worship. Amen. Let us read God's word. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. There were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said to him, open our eyes. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes immediately they could see and they followed him this is god's word let's pray together father in heaven i pray that you would Help us in these next few minutes to hear your voice, to learn your truth, and to come to trust in you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those who are guests, my name is uh, Tim Shorey. I'm one of the pastors here. It's just a privilege to help lead this church. And my privilege this afternoon just to bring a brief message from God's word. The other day, we were doing some dishes, put some stuff into the dishwasher, and all of a sudden, the top rack of the dishwasher just crashed down inside of the dishwasher. And I spent, who knows, the next uh, 15 minutes looking at this thing, trying to finagle with this thing, unable to fix the dishwasher. Went back to it a couple of days later, still unable to fix the dishwasher, and there it sits. As I was failing to fix the dishwasher, at the same time, I was dealing with a headache that many of you would know I've had for almost 31 years. And as I was trying to fix the dishwasher in vain, with a headache that won't go away, I was also carrying some concern for a number of people in our church here who have family members and loved ones that are facing severe illnesses and disease. And as I was trying to fix the dishwasher with a headache and thinking about people I care about who had illnesses and diseases that I couldn't cure, I thought of other people who were aware of a uh, who have a number of problems going on in their life and in, in their families, and then I thought about the fact 
that we live in a world that's broken from top to bottom and all over the place. So I have, I have an appliance I can't fix, a headache I can't heal, some friends I can't rescue, some problems I can't solve in a world that I cannot transform. Now that is a whole lot of can'ts. That is a whole lot of things that I can't do. Now, my question for you this afternoon is, are you okay with the word can't? We live in a time, don't we, that people don't like the word can't. In fact, if at any point you use the word can't, somebody is bound to chime in and say, don't say can't. All you have to do is believe in yourself and you can do anything that you can dream of. And I get what people are trying to say there. I understand that what they're trying to say is that we as human beings, we have a certain capacity and ability and dignity. Most people don't realize where that comes from. It comes from being made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, we have a capacity and ability to do a lot of things. Indeed, many things that we might at first think we can't do. But at the end of the day, we can't do everything. And indeed, there are many things that we cannot do, many things that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we believe in ourselves, we cannot do them. One of the reasons why the word can't is so offensive to human beings nowadays is because we have the illusion, we have the delusion that we are all competent, that we can, we have it in ourselves. We, we don't need anything. We have all the strength, we have all the power, we have all the ability that we need so that we can do everything. But there are moments, aren't there, when we realize when truth must be told and truth must be faced, where we realize, you know what, uh, we just can't. In children's sports nowadays, it's a good thing that they have come up with the mercy rule. You know what the mercy rule is? That's when one team is so far ahead of the other team that they end the game prematurely out of mercy to the losing team. Reminded me of my basketball days, and yes, I had some basketball days a long time ago. Back in 1975, I was a junior in high school, and so-so basketball player, okay basketball player, uh, so long as I stayed within my group. I remember this game where we played uh, Andover High School in Massachusetts, and they were way bigger than us, and way faster than us and way stronger than us, and way more skilled than us. And at the end of the first quarter, the first quarter, we were behind 32 to nothing. Wow. Yeah. I wish they had the mercy rule back then. But you know what? To, 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 to accept mercy, to know you need mercy, is to imply something about yourself that we don't like to imply. 
I can do this. I can come back from 32 to nothing. I can do this. Now, Tim, you can't. Now, Tim, you can't. Tim, there are some things you cannot do. There are some things, dare I to say it, that someone else has to do for you. Ooh, that's humbling, isn't it? We don't want to face that. We don't want to admit that. That's what this story is about that was just read from Matthew chapter 20. Let me make sure we're following the storyline here, which, by the way, for those that are uh, new to some of these things, this, this is a true story. This actually happened in the life of Jesus. Jesus, whose whole life and all his words reveal that he was a very special person. He was very human and very divine at the same time. You could accurately say that he was God in the body. And I know that's a mystery and that's confusing, but it is the way it was and is. And he came here to earth to say and do some pretty amazing things. Now, Jesus, in Matthew 20, is right near the end of his life. Let's take a quick look at what happened here. Jesus has left the small town of Jericho, that's a little bit to the northeast of Jerusalem, and he's now headed toward Jerusalem, just a week or two before his death, where he's actually going to be betrayed and killed in Jerusalem. And he knows this is going to happen. In fact, he's predicted it a few times in the previous chapters. And if you look back at verse 26 of Matthew 20, he tells us why he's going to die. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, there was, there was a freedom price that was required in order to free us, in order to emancipate us from the issues of our lives, from the sins of our lives. And Jesus was voluntarily going to Jerusalem to pay that debt for us. Now, because of the many amazing things that Jesus had done in his life, there was a great crowd that was following him. He was, he was big at this moment in terms of popularity. He was, he was a first century celebrity. He was, he was a man who had tremendous uh, amount of fans that were fawning all over him, following him everywhere, even though, or maybe it was because, they didn't really know that in a week or two he was going to be dead. Later developments show that they were fickle fans, that they weren't really following Jesus from the heart, but they were following him because he was putting on a good show. He was doing these tricks, and he was healing people and raising people from the dead, and 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 do you know feeding five thousand people with just a few fish and loaves of bread. I mean, there's some stunning things happening, and people wanted to see the show. People didn't want to miss anything. So there were the crowds of people following Jesus, walking with Jesus as he left Jericho to go to Jerusalem. And on top of that, as I've said, he knew already that he was going to Jerusalem to die, which is what makes what happens here so remarkable. While on the way, these two blind men heard all the noise, all the commotion that was going on with Jesus in the crowd. And these two blind men called out to Jesus for help. 
This was their chance. They knew this was their moment to get a miracle. This was the moment to get healing. And so, against the rebukes of the crowd, the crowd didn't want them to bother Jesus right now. The crowd didn't want to be bothered with these two blind men. But, against the rebukes of the crowd, these two blind men keep crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And he did. He stopped in the middle of all that was going on. He stopped in the middle of all that he was doing. And he asked them basically, how can I help you? How can I help you? Is what I mean by pretty remarkable. I don't know about you, I know me when I'm busy. I'm never surrounded by a crowd like Jesus was, but you know, when I have a few people around me, and my life is busy, I don't like being interrupted by individual people. I'm doing my thing. I'm going in my direction. I'm, I'm doing the big stuff. But G Jesus was a person who noticed persons. Even in a crowd, Jesus noticed individuals. All this bedlam was going on, but Jesus stopped in the middle of it. He heard their voice. He heard their cries. It's as if his heart turned in. Where are those voices coming from? He called them to himself. You know what you just witnessed a few minutes ago with these cardboard testimonies? These are the stories of a couple of dozen of folks whom Jesus heard their voice. These are individuals in the crowd of humanity that cried out for mercy. And Jesus heard them. Jesus heard them. That's how Jesus loves. That's who Jesus is. And so he says to them, how can I help you? And, and they say, we want to see. We want to see. Would you please just open our eyes? We want to see. We can't see. We want to see. And the text says that Jesus' heart was full of pity, full of compassion. And in that compassion, he reached out and he touched their eyes, which was an expression of kindness and, and love and tenderness. And they were healed. They were given back their sight immediately. And immediately they followed Jesus, which is New Testament code language for they became disciples of Jesus. They became those who followed him. And then, having shown them mercy, he continued walking toward Jerusalem, where a few days later he died for their sins and ours. I want us to think about mercy for just a few minutes here. Mercy, what is it? We talk about the mercy rule or two young kids are wrestling and one of them's got the other one's arm twisted behind the back and, and what do they say? say? Say uncle, that's what we used to say. 
say mercy. And the proud one with the arm stuck behind his back is just refusing to say mercy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry out for mercy. I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna ask for mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is an admission of need. That is to say, mercy is how God responds to us when we acknowledge our need. Mer mercy is a blessing. Hear this. Mercy is a blessing that we are too weak to produce and too sinful to deserve. Hear that. Mercy is a blessing, a joy that we are too weak to produce and too sinful to deserve. Mercy is what we need when we come up against those can'ts of our lives. Those things that we cannot do, we need mercy to get them done. And as you think about mercy, you realize that you, could, you can divide mercies up into two or three categories. There's wellness mercies. That's what these blind men wanted, right? They wanted to be well. They wanted to be physically well. They wanted the mercy of a healing. And we all have wellness issues probably in our lives. We, we've all got something that isn't functioning quite right. And we would love the mercy of wellness. And then there's what we might call happiness mercies. We just had Thanksgiving, which theoretically is supposed to remind us of all of the happiness mercies we have received so that we can be thankful to God for those mercies. I realize that the history of American Thanksgiving tradition is marred by some pretty significant sins done against other human beings so that white folks could be happy. I understand that Thanksgiving is scarred by the history a bit. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be thankful. That doesn't mean that we haven't received happiness mercies that we ought to be giving praise to God for. We, in Acts chapter 14, it says, God has done us good by giving us rains from heaven and fruitful seasons to satisfy our hearts with food and gladness. This is, this is who God is. God sends the sun, He sends the rain, He makes it nice, He gives us food, He puts clothes on our back. Everyone in this room has experienced many happiness mercies. Have we not? Yes, we have. Many wellness mercies, many happiness mercies. In fact, can I suggest to you that you and I are so used to receiving wellness and happiness mercies that when God, for whatever reason, withholds one of them from us, we get mad. We are so accustomed to God's mercies that we have reinterpreted them to be entitlements. We've reinterpreted them to be rights. And so if we are not perfectly happy, we get mad at God for letting us be unhappy. 
Or if we don't have every material, physical thing we want or mercy we desire, we think that somehow or other God's not been fair. Are you relating to this? Remember hearing about uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, heard this years ago, and I think Alex mentioned this not that long ago in a message. Dr. Sproul was a seminary professor, and, and he had this class this year, uh, particular year, and at the beginning of the, the year, he told the class that each month they were going to have a paper on theology that they had to write, and it was going to be due the last day of class each month. At the end of the first month, there were a handful or two of the students who came to Dr. Sproul and they were kind of, they were very fearful and they were trembling and they were, they were not sure how to say this to Dr. Sproul, but finally they just gutted out, oh Dr. Sproul, please have mercy on us. We, we didn't get the paper done and, and we realized it was due today and it's just not done. Can we please, can we please have a few days extra to do it? And Dr. Sproul, as he would tell the story, out of the amazing mercy of his heart, he decided to give them mercy. And so he said, okay, you can have a few extra days. So the end of the next month comes. And this time it's not just a handful or two of students. Now it's 15 or 20 of the students. And they come up to him and they say, Dr. Sproul, we're really sorry. We couldn't get the paper done this time in time, but uh, we'll get it to you in the middle of next week. And Dr. Sproul, out of the kindness of his heart and the mercy of his heart, he said, okay, I'll let you off this time. Then the end of the third month comes. And as I remember the story, I don't know if this is an accurate detail, but we'll go with it. About half the class is lined up at Dr. Sproul's desk. And they say, hey, Doc, you know, I, we know there's no problem with you, but just so you know, you know, it's going to be a few days before we get in that, the, the papers, and um, we know it's no big deal with you, and, and uh, so we'll, we'll get those to you when we're ready. And so Dr. Sproul takes out his grade book, and he goes to the first name, person's name, John, and said, John, F. But Dr. Sproul, what, you can't. Weren't you late for your paper last month? Yeah. I'm going to go back to F. What? And one after another, they were appalled at his injustice. That's not fair. And Dr. Sproul says, You sure you want fair? You see, what had happened was this. They had gotten so used to his mercy that they interpreted when he didn't give them mercy as being unfair. Their, his mercy had been transformed into their right. We get this, don't we? We do this, don't we? We do this. We get so used to God's mercies that we assume they are rights and when God doesn't give them to us, we shake our fist in his face. How dare you? There are wellness mercies. There are happiness mercies. And my friends, they are mercies because there are bless they are blessings we cannot produce and we do not deserve. Am I right? 
There's a third category of mercies that I'll call forgiveness mercies. Forgiveness mercies. I want you to follow me as I read another little story that Jesus told at another time. A story about forgiveness mercy. The story is found in Luke 18, verse 9. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified. That means he went down to his house forgiven, pardoned, accepted by God as if he was completely innocent, even though he was not innocent. He went home justified rather than the other self-righteous guy, rather than the other guy who didn't think he needed mercy because he deserved God's grace. He deserved God's favor. That guy did not get justified, forgiven, accepted by God. But the man who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, he went home forgiven. He went home pardoned. This is... This is Forgiveness, mercy. And we can't earn it. And we don't deserve it. It is a mercy that we are too weak to produce and too sinful to deserve. These mercy categories, especially the third one, assumes some things that we humans don't like to admit. We don't like to admit that we need mercy. And we especially don't like to admit that we need forgiveness, mercy. We like to think that we're okay. Nothing wrong with me. In fact, we've gone so far with this that we actually deny that there are rights and wrongs anymore. In order to, to kind of shield our consciences from feeling guilt over things that we have done, we've just made up our mind. There's no such thing as wrong things to do. And this has become the creed of our generation. There are no absolutes. There's no right. There's no wrong. Therefore, there can be no guilt because you can only have guilt that requires mercy if you've done something wrong. And since there isn't anything really wrong, then we're all okay. Let me ask you this. If you're somebody who has argued that way, let me ask you this. Have there ever been times when you have felt regret? Times when, as people sometimes say, you've done things that you're not proud of. Ever, ever had those times? Things you regret. Things that bring you a sense of shame. You're not proud of. You know, 
when we use those phrases, I, I regret some things. I'm not proud of some things I have done. What we're doing is we're softening our sense of guilt. We're admitting that we know we've done something wrong, but we just don't want to use moral categories for it. We're admitting that we're sinners, but we don't want to say we're sinners. I have my regrets. I wish I could do that thing over again. I wish I hadn't said that. My friends, those are moments when in fact, you did do something wrong. You did say something wrong. You were guilty and you need mercy. You need to cry out to Jesus just like the blind men did. Lord, Lord have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. We need to ask for, for mercy. It's a simple message. Are we willing, like these couple of blind men, to admit our need? Are we willing, like these blind men, to go to Jesus and ask for mercy. There's a sense, my friends, in which that is the Christian gospel. We need forgiveness. We need something that we are too weak to produce and too sinful to deserve. And we need to ask for mercy. There's a lot of mercies that God gives to us in His kindness without us even asking. The whole world out there gets the sun shining on them and the rain down coming down on them, but they don't ask God for those mercies. But God is kind and God is generous, and that's just who God is and how He, how he functions from a heart of compassion. But there's one mercy you have to ask for. There's one need you have to confess, you have to own, and that's the need that comes out of your guilt and your sin before God. You have to acknowledge that you are a sinner who needs mercy. God, God said, you've got to ask for that one. You've got to ask for that one. I just don't throw that down on everybody. That, you have to come to me with that one. You have to humble yourself. Come to me. And say, God, I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. It has to be a free gift from you to me. And you have to believe. Notice what these blind men did. They sought God's mercy through Jesus. They went to Jesus to get God's mercy. You and I need to do the same thing. Why? Because Jesus is the one who died on the cross to take away the punishment for our sin so that we could have mercy. Because Jesus is the one who loved us so much that He was willing to offer Himself as a sacrifice, as a ransom for our sin so that we could go free 
You can't just go to God and say, oh God, you're merciful, please just kind of indulge me. No, we have to go to God and say, I know that my sins deserve death. I know that if you were to treat me fairly and justly, you would condemn me. I know that I am guilty, deserving of your judgment. I need mercy, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin so that I could have mercy, so that I could ask you for mercy. And Father in heaven, you are what the apostle later would write, the Father of mercies. You are the one who loves to show mercy. Do you know that no matter what you have done, no matter how guilty you are, no matter how many your regrets, no matter how deep the sin, no matter how violent the act, no matter how impure the act, no matter how, how unfaithful and disloyal the act, no matter how greedy the act, no matter how self-serving the act of sin in your life, do you know that God is poised and ready to forgive? Do, do you know that God looks at it all and says, my son died for it. Just humble yourself. Come to me and ask. Come to me and ask. If you have never come to the Father through Jesus and asked for mercy, the invitation is open wide to you right now. We sang earlier, come ye sinners, poor and weary. Those that are lost and ruined by the fall, I'd say that's all of us, don't you think? Is there anyone here who still is going to say, I'm not a sinner, I don't need mercy? Now, my friend, you're behind by more than 32 to nothing. You're behind by an infinite score, an infinite death. But the Father in heaven looks down and says, Come. Come to me through Jesus, my Son, and I will give you mercy and grace and rest. And you can walk out of here a forgiven sinner. Still a sinner, but a forgiven one. Still not deserving God's mercy, but having received His mercy. You can go home like the tax collector. You can go home justified. You came guilty, go home justified. If you are willing to admit your need and ask for mercy through Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Those of us who have asked for mercy, those who have received it, this is why we love to sing, isn't it? I mean, this is why... Christians love to sing because, well, we've been ransomed and set free. I mean, you know, we're, we're forgiven. We're going to heaven. And until we get there, we're experiencing the love and the mercy of God every single day of our life. I want us to pray. And as we do this, the worship team is going to come to lead us in a final song. But I want us to pray. I want this to be something of a, 
a cry for mercy. Won't you, if you've never cried out for God's mercy before, His forgiveness mercy, I want you to think about praying this as your own prayer. All right? So let's bow our heads together. Dear Lord and God in heaven, your word tells us that you're the father of mercies. That means that all mercies come from you, originate in your heart. Your heart is full of tender mercy. You are ready and eager to forgive. You share your mercies in wellness and happiness every day of our lives. Father, we need those mercies, but most of all, we need your forgiveness mercies. So, Father, would you please touch hearts here this afternoon and lead men, women, young people, children to a place of humility before you where they admit their need and ask for mercy while trusting in Jesus. If you've never prayed for the mercy of God with your head still bowed, I'm just going to lead in a prayer and encourage you, if your heart desires this, if your faith is real, to pray something like this before the Lord. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I have a need for forgiveness, that I'm too weak to produce, and too sinful to deserve. But I know, Lord, that you love to show mercy. Will you please have mercy on me to forgive my sins, to make me clean, to wash away all my guilt so that I can go home forgiven, justified, at peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed such a prayer, if that expressed something in your heart, we want to make sure to invite you afterwards to talk with one of us so that we can help to lead you into more understanding of the mercy of God in Christ. And if that's the story of your life, as it is for all of us who love Jesus, well, then let's stand and sing. Let's sing about the happy day when Jesus washed our sin away and changed us now and forever.